comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. together from remote galaxies are some of the most sinister podcasters of all time the long box of doom dedicated to a single objective the conquest of the comic book universe Hey everyone, and welcome to the Long Box of Doom podcast, episode number 248. This is Russ, and joining with me tonight are Jordan and Jim. Hey guys. Hey Russ, hey Jim. Hey guys, how's it going? And summertime is a great time for comics, so tonight we're going to have a big old plate of comics BS, isn't that right? Oh yes, and as you can probably tell already, we are now listening to, what is this, Jim 4.0, 3.0, 5.0? I mean, we had the old laptop and I got upgraded there and now I've been upgraded to a, an actual microphone. Yeah, he's so. actually got the same microphone now that I do, and uh, I'm very happy with mine. So, uh, welcome to the uh, to the freestanding mic community there, Jim. Thanks, pal, and I'm working on my NPR patter, so hopefully I can get an audition with them, talking about women who make macrame out of old typewriter. Well, you've got slightly too much mm-hmm. energy, so you're going to want to tone that down just a little bit. You want to get that... Even, even-tempered tone that just lulls you into a false sense of security before stabbing you in the gut. <laughs> Maybe sleepy time tea with a shot of Robitussin. Yeah, there you go. That, that'll be just about go. perfect. You got the voice down. You just need to get that tone. But we're not here to talk about cocktails that'll put you to sleep on the floor of your bathroom. Oh, no. Although we could. We could, easily. I mean, Jordan alone could do that podcast. <laughs> and uh, tell you all about the liability of it. But we're not here to talk about that. Uh, we're here to talk Comics BS. And before that, we actually have a special announcement. Isn't that right, gentlemen? Yeah, we do. So uh, we're adding a new podcast to the feed. And I, I know what you're thinking. Another one? W- w- when are you guys going to have time to do this? Well, it's only going to be, what, eight to ten episodes. We are putting out Los Podcast Hermanos. It's going to be a podcast with myself, Jim, Russ, Frank from Half Hour Wasted, and maybe some other people, you, n- you never know, uh, who will show up, uh, talking about the last eight episodes of Breaking Bad, just like we do on Walking Dead TV. Um, it's just going to be... You know, a few episodes and then we'll be out. We're just talking about the final season and maybe we'll do one or two episodes afterwards just to talk about our reactions to the finale and fan reactions, etc. Um, this podcast will only be available on the Master Feed. So so if you want to listen to it and you're only subscribed to the Long Box of Doom feed, you're going to want to you know, go subscribe to the Master Feed. There's plenty of great shows on there and that will be your one place to get Los Podcast Hermanos, the Breaking Bad podcast, because it didn't really make sense to put a whole other separate feed up on there just for eight or ten episodes and then out. We figured we put it there where most of the people already get their podcasts anyway. The Master Feed. Heisenberg is the one who knocks. We are the ones who podcast. Exactly. Yes. And if you don't want to, you know, if for whatever reason you don't want to subscribe to the Master Feed, shame on you. Uh, you can go to hhwlod.com and get the episode individually there. There is a uh, master feed link off the podcast section and you could, you know, download the MP3 straight from there if you so choose. 
Absolutely, and you can do the same thing through iTunes as well. You can just go to the podcast page and download individual episodes, and you can probably do that from other podcatcher-type devices as well. So it's really easy, and uh, it'll be a short-form show, um, just a few episodes, and we hope you enjoy it. On to the comic talk, gentlemen. So do we want to start with the negative and get it out of the way? I'd like to, if you don't mind, since I'm since Ken Morgan has gone on hiatus sabbatical and gone off to the mountains of Tibet to clean out refrigerators for monks and Buddhist temples and whatnot, uh, I'm ostensibly the DC guy on the podcast, I guess, and that's really kind of sad considering how few DC books I read in the DCU. Um, but this week it was like three strikes against DC. Um, so basically what happened was uh, they were relaunching the Legion of Superheroes brand under a new title, Justice League 3000, under the brand, you know, the blanket uh, brand of the Justice League books they have now. The interesting part to me was that it was uh, Keith Given, J.M. DiMatteis, and uh, Kevin McGuire, uh, the, the the three guys who put out uh, the, the old Justice League uh, international run from the 80s, uh, known as, you know, the Bwahaha League, the blue and blue and gold, uh, you know, with Mr. Miracle and, you know, Batman knocking out Guy Gardner in one punch, that whole, that whole uh, bit. Uh Kevin McGuire was, was fired this week and taken off the book, uh, because the book that they, uh, turned in, uh, Giffen, Dimitris, and McGuire to DC, this, DC said they wanted something grim and gritty, and they gave them something light and hopeful. That was the official word from them. So, I, first of all, I thought we were over the whole grim and gritty thing in the 80s. I thought we got that out of our system with, you know, a Punisher book every week and whatnot, but I guess not. And then second of all, why would you, hand off to this team expecting them to give you a grim and gritty story when you know that they are known for more of a lighthearted, you know, more humorous thing. I just, I just don't understand the thinking behind that. You know what I mean? And then to fire him because he did what he is known for doing. I mean, Kevin McGuire is one of the best uh, guys as far as facial expressions, I'd say in comics. Um, he was very, uh, it was very easy for him to get across those comedic beats uh, from that run of Justice League. Uh, and if they wanted something a little more light and hopeful and something that was like, you know, be an ongoing sustaining thing, you know, I don't know why, you know, I don't know why they went to Giffen, Dimitris, and McGuire if they wanted something grim and gritty. I mean, why didn't they go to like, you know, I don't know, Greg Rucka or, or, or Chuck Dixon or, you know, I mean, I can, you know, name a whole bunch of other guys who do grim and gritty much better. So it's like they're almost penalizing them for doing what they are known for doing. And were all three guys let go, or just uh, Mr. McGuire? Kevin McGuire was let go, but the good news is he is now taking over for McNiven on the Guardians of the Galaxy book that Bendis is writing. Which is very interesting, and Marvel acted very fast on that one. Well, yeah, I mean, it was quite quite a catch almost in midair, because <laughs> uh, uh, Kevin uh, tweeted on Monday that he was out of work, and then by the end of the week... Uh, it was announced that he was taking over uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. So, and I think his his art style would be you know, well suited to that book. Yeah. Um, it's funny because like midweek he he kind of, you know, the first tweet started with I think I've just been fired, and then and then they kind of fleshed it out a little bit, and then he kind of toned it down a little and said um, he still had some projects in line for DC, so he wasn't like DC bashing. But, the, you know, then when the news came out of Guardians, I guess it's, you know, kind of all bets are off at this point as far as DC work. Because, I mean, he's a pretty reliable guy, pretty deadline-based guy, but I, I don't see him doing two books at a time. Yeah, I agree. Especially, I mean, his artist. So, I mean, if you look at his art, it's really detailed. I mean, he's really one of the great unsung artists of the 80s, I think. You know, I mean, I put him up there with, with Byrne and Adams. And I've been enjoying Guardians of the Galaxy so far. I mean, I, I've said it before, it doesn't 
live up to the DNA uh, Dan Abbott and Andy Lanning run from a few years ago, and very few things could. I mean, that was just a fantastic run through and through. I reread it over the summer, and it still holds up so well. But it, it still is a lot of fun, even if it's not quite as good as my favorite run on the book, which, you know, like I said, what could be. So, you know, adding another great artist to the book, which already the art has been very fun, I think is uh, is is good and good on Marvel for uh, for for swooping in there. I mean, it, it sounds almost like a bad thing that they swoop, swoop, swooped in like an eagle or something and, and grabbed some prey. But hey, this guy was having a bad time and they gave him a, a new job uh, on a book that's selling very well, uh, from what I understand. So good on them. Yeah, I'm not sure what the scoop is. You know, with the whole Justice League 3000, I guess um, Legion of Superheroes wasn't really selling that well. Uh, and they wanted to shake it up, and I think they're really trying to pump up that Justice League brand. Um, but, you know, that's one of the things... I, I mean, I was never a big Legion reader, but one of the things that always intrigued me was they weren't just copies of of, of the current-day heroes, that they decided to go in a bit of a different direction. It always just seems weird to me. Like, you'd go 3,000 years out... or two. I'm sorry. You'd go 1,000 years into the future, and there's still going to be a Batman, a Superman, a Wonder Woman... Um, you know, when you look over the course of, you know, human history and see how things change over a thousand years, it just seems odd that we would still have those archetypes going around. So um, I, I don't know. I just I, I think I think they're just it's pushing too much. And again, they're it's it's almost like everything is just they're just homogenizing everything. Everything's the same. And, and there's you know, there's nothing different. Um, well, I mean, I'm not a, a DC guy, as everybody knows. And so I have not been following uh, Justice League 3000, although I did look at uh, when they first announced the the character designs, and I thought they were pretty cool. But I thought I had read somewhere that this wasn't just other characters in their costumes or in costumes inspired by the classic Justice League, if you will, but that somehow it was actually Bruce Wayne and, and Kal-El and etc., in the year 3000. Was that just a rumor that I had read or um, a I don't think the book misrepresentation? I don't think the book has come out yet, and I I, I have not read that. So Yeah, okay, I heard so that either. So it may or may not be actually those characters in the future. But, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, Russ. Um, but at the same time, if that book sells and gives them enough money to publish other books that don't sell as well... I can't hold it against them, you know. If if they're taking a loss or not make or at least not turning a profit on Losh or any other book, you know, they are a business and if if they can't pay the bills, if they can't, you know, keep, you know, above that line, then they can't publish books. So, they've got to make smart decisions. True. Not that I'm calling, you know, saying this has to be a grim and gritty book or it has to be Batman, Superman and and Wonder Woman, etc., uh, you know, smart moves necessarily, but you know, they, they have to make the decisions that they have to make sometimes. Well, it seems to be like a real pattern of weirdness coming out of the DC editorial. I mean, you had the whole thing with Leith, uh, Rob Liefeld talking about Deathstroke and how you know, they wanted to take the book one way or another. Uh, Paul Jenkins saying he felt like bullied by DC. And then also this week, uh, Paul Pope and, and Brian Azzarello, um did a pitch for uh, like a young adult uh, version of Commandy, uh, you know, the old uh, Jack Kirby character. And, uh, they started to do their pitch about, you know, there was going to be a high, you know, high adventure, you know, some violence for young readers. And the editor, uh, said, stop. You think this comic is going to be for kids? We don't publish comics for kids. We publish comics for 45 year olds. If you want to do comics for kids, you can do Scooby Doo. 
And Paul Pope said, well, I guess we just broke up. <laughs> That's crazy. But, um... And again, you know, not to play devil's advocate, but, you know, 45 is pretty much the average age of a comic book buyer, isn't it? Well, something I, I brought up in a, in a thread and discussion uh, the other day was, um, you know, if kids aren't going to start reading comics now, then where are the 45-year-olds going to be in 40 years, you know, 30 years? I mean... Oh, I, I understand, but I are mean, they gonna, are kids going to start reading with Commandy? Really? I don't know. I mean, the young adult market is really uh, huge and could easily be tapped with a fresh take on any character, really. You know, I've come to the realization, I mean, to, that any character, you can write a, a good story about any character, you know. Yes, but you can write that story, but will people buy it? Well, people can't. People <laughs> and that's can't. nothing against Commandy. It's just a smaller This isn't about Commandy, though. This is about the general outlook of DC Editorial. Okay. okay, well, that I can definitely... Not uh, not even with. wanting to look in... I mean, if you look at Marvel, you know, they have the cartoons to get the IP out there into the to the kids' uh, minds. You know, starting young with Superhero Squad, then on to, you know, Hulk Agents of Smash, Avengers Assemble. Teenager, you know, you would be into the Marvel movies probably by then. And Young Avengers and Avengers Arena. Right, and there are comics that are chopping into that young adult market, not only in Marvel, but, I mean, look at Saga. Saga's huge among young adults. Um, well, because you know, it has nudity. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's that kind of love story that resonates with, you know, alienated outsider, outsiders, you know, love against the world. I mean, that totally resonates with teenagers and young adults. You know, it's like shooting fish in a barrel, selling alienation to teenagers. But, um, that's a whole different discussion. But what I'm saying is, you know, Marvel is marketing that. And that's one of the reasons DC acquired Marvel is that they'd have more IPs that attracted the young men. You know, they had a lot of female IP, but not a lot that attracted young men. That's one of the reasons they acquired Marvel. Whereas DC, is just saying, you know, we're publishing comics for 45-year-olds. We're not even going to try to appeal to that market. And there are, you know, Tiny Titans and, you know, Teen Titans Go and, and their cartoons and things like that. But, I mean, we're if you wanted to point a, a kid who watched Teen Titans Go or Young Justice to a comic book, you know, where would you point them? Would you point them at the Teen Titans in the DC Universe? They wouldn't recognize any of those characters, you know? Well, I, I wonder, you know, we talk about Disney buying Marvel and that being a Disney decision and... and Granted, we don't know the division of power and how much say Disney really has or chooses to exercise, I should say, in their control of what Marvel does. But could this be, you know, a mandate handed down by Warner? I mean, it's quite clear that Warner has had a very difficult time over the last three decades in establishing a clear direction for where they want their film properties to go um, you know, over and over and over again through various Warner administrations. Could this be a directive passed down by them? I would I would almost probably guarantee it. You know, they've had a big shakeup over at Warner. You know, Diane Nelson's kind of been promoted up, but her boss was replaced. And, you know, there's kind of a new sheriff in town. And there's been a lot of rumor about, you know, changes and shifts going on. But it, it just, I, I, you know, I, I kind of fall more into Jim's camp that, you know, your messaging is, oh, we're, we're marketing, you know, books towards 45-year-olds because that's our demo. I don't know that that's that's true. You know, granted, we're you know, Jim, you you and I and John and and Brad, Frank, Bill, we're all post forty year old guys, and there's a lot of them out there. But you know, there's there's a lot of guys like Jordan's age that are you know twenty, and I think that pulls the demo down. So, I mean, I would think the average is 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 skewing a little younger than that. But I mean, the point is, it's not skewed towards where I think it should be, which is. In the you know when you factor in the old guys and the young guys, I, I would think the average should sh should somewhere be 
you know, around, you know, early to mid 20s. And you don't have to market, you know, and this gets back to the old rant that we had back when the new 52 launched is we really thought or a bunch of us thought that this was going to be their opportunity to tell more accessible stories to maybe skew things younger and DC took the opposite track. I mean they they went to the long form story to to um you know decompression. The stories were, you know, filled with a lot of what I consider, you know, more adult and more mature subject matter. Um you know, a lot of implied nudity, a lot of implied sex. <clears throat> or just outright sex in the case of some of the books. Cat, last page of Catwoman 1, anybody? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, and I think, you know, we, you know, Jordan, you, you said about Commandy specifically, you know, would that would that sell? And, I, you know... Well, yeah, and, and I want to make it clear. I, I agree with you and Jim that comics should... There should be comics from these companies for all different ages. I, you know, my, my comment was just more specifically about Commandy. Right, but. and well... And it gets to that point specifically. I think they could. I think if you if you did it right, I think it could. I mean, you know, Commandy is quote unquote the last boy on earth. And if you put it in that context of you're the story of a, you know, I don't know, a 13, 14, 15 year old, you know, boy that is, you know, kind of the last survivor of this crazy apocalypse. And you have these anthropomorphic characters running around in all these different settings. Uh, you know, I, I think I think there could be some appeal to that now you know whether that specific creative team could accomplish that who knows but i i think i think it's possible um i am no fan of paul pope i mean i know a lot of people love his work I, personally his art style just doesn't doesn't speak to me i mean i've i've tried to read several things he's done and i just i just have a hard time getting into it yeah it's cool i understand i mean it's the pope isn't for everybody it wasn't even the 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 that project in particular that really got me was right. the whole outlook you know i would oh, think yeah. they would want to i would think they would want to seed those ips among young you know i mean i don't know this is something they've been saying since the 80s but look at japan there are comics for every age group in every you know category every kind of story that you can think of you know and I'm, there's there's a I'm, there's a market out there for kids comics right now you know one of the best-selling indie comics out there are bongo comics why because they're all ages comics you know, yeah. I mean, there's a market there to be tapped. It just seems like it just seems odd that Marvel is seems very cognizant of this and is, you know, growing their franchises, you know, through co cartoons and everything. But DC, as you know, Jordan said, their movie, you know, history has been very scattered. I mean, going back to like Shaquille O'Neal as Steel. Anybody? <laughs> I owned and possibly still own somewhere the novelization of the film Steel and have read it uh, as a child. I don't think I've ever seen the film, though. I don't know if this is better or worse, but I have the action figure. <laughs> I seriously do. I, I think I have the benefit of I was like 12 when I bought this yeah, book I was and like, had no idea it was even a comic book property. Uh, you, however, sir, are an adult and should be ashamed of yourself. I had no excuse at all. <laughs> Absolutely none. Well, and I think it's just indicative of, and Jim, you know, to your, to your point, that DC just seems like they're got their head up their butt lately. I mean, you know, and I know a lot of folks may think of this as just us DC bashing, but you know, a lot of the we've talked about, you know, almost every BS show for the last several months, we've had some sort of, uh, you know, DC faux pas that's happened, whether it's creatives that are railing against them or, you know, stunts, gimmicks, you know, and, and, and granted, Marvel's, you know, guilty of, of stunts and gimmicks, too. Yeah, I mean, it should be clear, even though I'm not a DC guy and you guys are, are more so DC guys. 
it's not because, oh, I don't like DC. I want DC to succeed, and I think you guys do too. And it's more just we're, fla- we're flabbergasted at some of the decisions they make. You know, more competition is always yeah. better. Even though I'm an Apple guy, doesn't mean I hate Android. I love that Android exists. I love that Windows Phone 8 exists. I love that, you know, RIM is a big company, or not as big as they used to be, but... You know, more competition and more options are almost always better when it comes to business. And, you know, even when it comes to art, when it merges with business, we want these things to be better, not worse. We're just mystified by some of the decisions. Well, along with mystified with the decisions, I think the third big strike for DC this week was uh, they were said they were going to be shipping 50% of these 3D lenticular covers, uh, 50% of what was ordered. So, say you're a guy who owns a comic store and you wanted to order some of these 3D lenticular covers from the Villains Month that are coming out. Only 50, about 50% of those cover um, orders would be filled. And it's and, and what I've been reading on Bleeding Cool at other sites is it's not you know like say I ordered 20 of the lenticular covers. It's not like every store is getting 10. It's not an equal distribution. Some of the stores are getting 100% of what they ordered. Some are getting 10. And it just seems like almost random the allocation of these. Uh, you know, 3D lenticular covers that were such a huge deal at San Diego and other cons where they've shown them off. It just, I don't know, it seems like they're, they're kind of screwing over the retailers in this and trying to, it almost like, to, like they're making a false shortage on them for the aftermarket. I think they were just, for whatever reason, uh, worried about being stuck with the overages, which, which is kind of stupid. You know, I don't know if you guys ever read uh, Brian Hibbs, who owns, I think it's Comic Experience in San Francisco. He um he does a comic on or a, a comic he does a column on bleeding on uh, CBR pretty regularly called Tint, tilting at windmills and uh, it's it's usually kind of his perspective as a retailer in in his market um, about what's going on and he also has a web website where he blogs and he had a pretty lengthy post and and railed against DC over this policy and you know his his thing was. DC could have solicited these things a month early if if they had to, you know, if they were worried about, you know, DC's using the excuse of, oh, well, because of the process and the in the lengthy printing and prep schedule, we had to print these things so far ahead of time we didn't get a chance to get final orders in before they were done. Um, and Hibbs was like, hey, they could have solicited these things a month early and given people a chance to put their orders in and have a really good idea of what of what they wanted before doing it. And instead they solicited it just as if it were a regular co- cover to a comic. And now they're short. And, you know, Hibbs's thing is he's really upset because DC is kind of being mum on this thing. Like they're not saying, you know, like you were saying, Jim, what your specific allocation is going to be, you know, what, you know, how short they are, how, or sh- how short they're not, what the process is going to be for any reprint. You know, he's a little ticked off that, if say he ordered 15 copies of Joker number one, or, or I, I guess I should say, um, you know, Batman 23.1 or whatever that whatever the number is, that he, you know, he may get 10 copies of the lenticular and then five copies of the non-lenticular cover at a dollar cheaper, which will match the day and date price on the digital. And so he's he's a little perturbed about that. So it's like he's at this point he's like it's just a complete crapshoot. Like he has no idea if he's gonna make any of his customers mad or if he's going to not have short, you know, if he's not going to have enough allocation for his regular customers, it's just a mess. And on the other side, they added um, issues in this villains month as well. They're putting out more issues than they normally would in a month. 
I think like uh, each of the Superman comics has like two villains issues or something like that. Yeah. And, so I mean, they're they're even like inflating people's orders and then not even fulfilling them, and then fulfilling them, like you said, in an inconsistent way. I mean, um, I was reading on Bleeding Cool today. There were you know stores that got like ninety five percent of what they ordered as far as the lenticular covers. There are other stores that got fifteen percent, and nobody knew which, but you know, beforehand, you know, to tell their customers, hey, you know, this is coming for you, or this isn't, you know. It just seems really slipshod for, you know, ostensibly is, you know, one of the big two, you know. Yeah. And it's funny because not every comic is getting a, a basically a, a, an issue that month. So they're, you know, they're going to do, you know, 15 or 17, you know, Batman comics, but Teen Titans might not get a comic that month or, you know, one of the other, you know, Batwing or whatever. You know, it's just basically they're, they're kind of using that to level it out. But I think overall, I think there's 58 issues that are that are coming out uh, as a part of that uh instead of the the normal 52 and and like we're saying that there it's it's kind of a mix and match as to as to which ones are what but it's the whole thing is is just i don't know and you know initially when they when they talked about it it was going to be i think they were going to number it by the villain so it'd be like joker number one harley quinn number one or or whatever and now they're going to do like batman the dark knight you know, 23.1, 23.2, 23.3. And so it's not, you know, you're, you know, unless you really pay close attention, you don't even know which issue is what. And then one of the things I heard on John Mayo's uh, po- uh, comic book page podcast was he was talking about, you know, are people going to think, well, I see Harley Quinn on the cover of 23.2. Is this the middle of a story? Do I need to get point one and point three? Most people aren't like us, where we read previews and we digest this stuff and we, you know, look at it. You know, a lot of people just show up on the comic, you know, at the shop that week and pick stuff off the shelf and that's how they buy their stuff. Uh, so, you know, again, confusion in the marketplace, I think, is, is not a good thing. Okay, enough. Enough. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's move on. Uh, let's let's get, get a little positive now. How about that? I'd, I'd love it. Yeah. Let's, let's start with Young Avengers about how much fun it is and how awesome it is and uh, how it's even playing in, in a weird way into the main Avengers titles that Hickman's doing with all the parallel universes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this series, I think I've probably said it before, but major surprise for me. I, I, you know, I, I guess it showed up in the first Marvel Point One, right? Was that where the first thing was or was it the second Marvel Point One? I think it was the first one because it was a while ago. It's the piece with Miss America and Young Loki. Right. And I read it and I was like, oh, this is a lot of fun. I don't know anything about Young Avengers. I probably won't pick this up. Um, I think I even skipped the first issue when it finally came out. And then the next week I had a light week. And at my comic shop, uh, you know, I think comics are like a dollar off once they've once they're a week old or older, that kind of thing, or 25 percent off, something like that, 10 percent off. I don't know. It's not important. The point is, I, I picked it up on a whim, just being like, oh, I heard really good reviews, and this series has just been knocking my socks off, uh, you know, issue after issue. The art is amazing. The layouts are fantastic. What they do with zero space and white space, and and uh, the characters are so much fun. I don't know most of these characters, but I feel like I do now. Um, such a big surprise for me, and Marvel's been doing this a lot now lately with books that I wasn't planning on buying, and I happen to look at the first issue, and it blows me away. Well, I knew Gillen and McKelvey from uh, Phonogram, an indie comic they did, which kind of mixes indie rock and magic. It was kind of cool, vertigo-ish kind of comic uh, that came out of England not too long ago, and I really enjoyed that. I thought it had a really cool style. But they really are, are just going all out with this. 
um, them, you know, in the past few issues, they've been going from alternate reality to alternate reality. And, you know, there's one where, where, uh, a Marvel boy has taken over the, the earth, the Kree empire. Uh, there's one where, you know, a Wiccan has his, literally has his face as a constellation in the sky. <laughs> they even um, go to the Marvel cinematic universe. You don't see it, but yeah. you're told that they went there. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they're all hunting Patriot, who is one of my favorite characters from the Heinberg and uh, Jim Chung run. Uh, that's, you know, that Young Avengers began in, uh, the first, uh, you know, volume of the series. So it's cool they're paying that back too. I, re- I really like the way the, the characters are written. I, I just, I, I remember back in the day when, um, when North Star came out, you know, and it was very much, he, it was in, in big letters. I remember in the middle of a fight saying that he was gay, you know, and it was just like the most unnatural dialogue I've ever heard in my life. Uh, you know, just like, you know, I, I mean, and I, I was, I'd forgotten all about it. I'm reading, uh, Super Gods right now by Grant Morrison. And he talks about it in there too, about how, you know, um, the, you know, ostensibly the first, you know, uh, Marvel, you know, out gay superhero, uh, um, you know, is announcing it in the middle of a battle against, uh, you know, Brotherhood of Evil Mutants or whatever. And this, the, 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 um, the relationship between Hulkling and Wiccan, it's just very organic and written well, like any relationship between a man and a woman or, or whatever, you know, it's just very realistically portrayed. And I really appreciate that rather than, you know, some of the lip service that's been paid, you know, to LGBT, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, issues in comics before I just, this book is super well-written. I love the perspective of, uh, of, uh, of, of Miss America as she's looking at everything. Um, the, 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 the one issue, I think it was issue one actually, where uh, where Kate Bishop wakes up in bed with Marvel Boy, uh, <laughs> that was hilarious. But the way they're showing that you know the different um, traveling through dimensions and alternate worlds and everything, you know, visually they're using some really cool uh, tricks and techniques. The alternate worlds, it's almost like the opposite of the Exiles. You know, like the Exiles are all called from these um, alternate realities. They, on the other hand, are stepping through um, alternate realities, trying to you know to to find Patriot. The, the, uh, the villain they're fighting is, is kind of just very strange, but, but well suited to them, I think. And I love the way the characters play off of one another. Um, it's just really, really good, good comics every week. And I love how they integrate social media in a organic way. Um, it, you know, it's a little bit, uh, I don't want to say corny, but it, it's, it's not there. I wouldn't say it's used naturally, you know, even though I said an organic way, it doesn't feel 100% germane. You know, they are playing it up in a way, but in a way that also works really well for the characters, for the age the characters are, for the age we live in now, quite frankly. And it's a great way to do the recap pages or to do some of the montage pages they've done where it's basically, you know, Instagram photos or, or tweets that basically catch you up on, hey, three months just passed. Here are the, you know, the, 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 you know, the number one hits or whatever of what we just did um, without you having to see it. And the the writing in general has just been so much fun. I, it's one of the few comics that is actually funny out there and not funny in a Deadpool kind of, you know, jokey way or slapsticky way. And, and I enjoy that, too. But just in a, you know, legitimately funny situations and funny characters, young Loki, Loki in particular, his whole bit about um, Game of Thrones and back in issue one or two, I forget what it was. Um, with, with the, I'm Tyrion. Everybody loves Tyrion. You've got to trust me and you've got to, you, you can't hate me because you all love Tyrion and that's who I am. Um, it, it's perfect. It's a very pop culture aware comic, but not in an annoying or off-putting way, at least for me. There are a few adults who write 
teenagers the way teenagers sound. You know what I mean? Uh, Brian K. Vaughn is one I found who really can get that kind of voice well. And I think here, uh, Kieran, uh, Kieran Gillen really nails it. You know, young adult teenagers, you know, speak, think, act in a different way than, you know, 20, 30 year olds. They just do. And it's, it's very easy to tell when someone can, can write that voice well. And it's very easy to tell when they can't. And, and Kieran Gillen really nails it. And, and McKelvey's art, I really, really appreciate on this. And his sense of design and everything is awesome. Um, just them, the, 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 the sheer, um, ingenuity and creativity going into each of these, you know, uh, alternate worlds that they're popping into for just a page or two, you know, uh, they just seem fully realized and thought out and everything. Um, just really, really good comics. Um, add another Avengers, uh, comic to your list. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of Brian K. Vaughn, let's uh, jump away from Marvel for a second and talk about The Private Eye. Now, you guys have read, have you all both read the, uh, the first three issues? I've read the first, no, I've read the first I've... two. Yeah, me too. Okay, so anybody who wants to can, you know, pop over to panelsyndicate.com, and that is a website that is being used now just for The Private Eye, which is a, a book by, uh, Brian K. Vaughn and Marcos Martin, uh, on the art duties. It's fantastic. Uh, issues one through three are out now, as well as a just released the other day behind the scenes comic that I'll talk about in a second. But it is a pay what you want digital only book. They've said it's not going to be ever released in a physical format. It is digital only. And that not only is a interesting marketing gimmick, but it's also kind of germane to the story which is about this kind of post-internet world, what happens when the security internet uh, NSA bubble pops and all the information you thought was private suddenly becomes public to everyone. What happens to the world 30 years after that? How do they recover? What do they do then? Um, and it's it's this noir world, but not a dark, brooding noir, a very bright and vibrant noir, which is different and fun. Um, if you like Brian K. Vaughn's writing, if you like Marcos Martin's art, which both of them I don't like, I love both of them. Um, this is just an, a really fun and inventive and very different comic. But just the other day, like I mentioned, they released a behind-the-scenes issue. Again, pay what you want. It's 85 pages. It is emails between Brian K. Vaughn and Marcos Martin. It is the original uh, pitch from Brian to Marcos about what this comic is going to be. The original script for issue one, the original layouts for issue one, character designs and and sketches, um, some of the different marketing materials behind the book. Uh, like I said, I'm not ready yet. I just flipped through, but it is so much stuff and so interesting. I cannot wait to dive into this. It is so much fun. And, you know, despite the fact that it's a pay what you want comic and you, like I said, you can pay what you want. I've paid, I, I believe, you know, if I'm remembering correctly, full price for a comic book issue every time uh, for what I would pay if this was in the store. And they don't suggest a price that I remember. It's just, you know, whatever I would normally pay for a comic in the store, that's what I pay for this. And I have not felt gypped once. Uh, granted, it's only three and this weird issue in, but I, I, I'm loving this so much. It's so different. It's so weird. And it's really cool. I agree. I, I am a little bit behind. But, you know, just, just the pay the pay what you will model. I mean, I've for issue two, I paid two bucks, and as soon as I get caught up on three and and this behind the scenes one, I'll probably also pay two bucks a piece for those. Uh, I've been pretty vocal about the sweet spot being ninety nine cent for a comic book, uh, a digital book, but this is DRM free. 
this is a, a unique uh, experience. This is uh, something new that they're trying, and I I think that you know, in my opinion, deserves a, a little bit more of a kicker. Um, you know, knowing the money is going directly to those two guys too. You know, other than whatever you know web costs and infrastructure costs they have, uh, you know, but for the most part, it's just it's just them. So you know, it it, it causes me to kind of bump that up a little bit. But but I agree on the quality. Uh, you you just can't go wrong. And it's nice, you know, not only is it pay what you want and DRM free, but every issue when you buy it, you can then download it in um, Adobe Acrobat reader file. You can download it in CBR and CBZ, like whatever your chosen format is, you can download it in. And I downloaded all three just to be safe. And uh, it's gorgeous. I agree. I really have been enjoying it as well. Uh, it's a great comic. I saw also that somebody uh, has on Etsy the, the hoodies from the cover of issue one with the face on the back. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I would I'd love to grab one of those. Yeah. In terms of character design, this book is so not even ahead of the pack. It's like not even in the same zip code as the pack. It's just in a different place altogether with what every character looks different. Every character looks crazy and weird. And at the same time, germane to this world, it is very cool. I mean, cause basically the idea is now that this internet bubble popped 30 years ago or whatever it was no one really shows their face in public everyone wears masks in these crazy get-ups and, and outfits the idea being you no longer can rely on an internet avatar to hide behind so in real life you adopt an avatar instead or many avatars depending on where you are and what group you're within and so everyone is an internet avatar in real life and it is so weird and interesting and cool to look at you know, it's funny that shortly after I think Panel Syndicate got their stuff going, uh, Wade, Mark Wade finally, it seems, got has things figured out with Thrillbent.com, where uh, all the comics they've been putting as, out as web comics, free to consume, they still are. Um, but they've also kind of adopted the pay-as-you-will, DRM-free, uh, PDF-style uh, for for their books. Um, they have that insufferable comic is is, is one of them that... Uh, that is on that, and there's a whole slew of of books that they have, and it's really good. They tell you exactly what you're getting. You know that that story came out. Uh, you know, you, what uh, a week at a time. There were pages that were put out, um, and the page the page count uh, for for the issues kind of varies uh, between you know how they've collected it, um, but they've collected the whole story into eight different volumes, and they range anywhere from. Uh, you know, 60 pages all the way up to 98 pages. And again, it's name your price, pay what you want, um, and and completely DRM-free, which seems to be a trend because uh, Image, I guess, at their Image Expo announced the same thing, that their comics would be available, you know, digitally through them, uh, DRM-free as well. So I think they're really trying to use that as a, as a, as a ploy to get folks to either maybe pay a little more or to just draw more attention to it uh, and try and compete with Comixology and what Marvel and DC are doing. Well, and it's the comic industry, the digital comic industry, catching up on industry trends in digital uh, distribution in general faster than some of their competitors have. I mean, it took music distribution, digital distribution, oh, probably, what, about five years of being a legitimate thing? Like, like we're talking post, uh, post-Napster here, but, like, once iTunes finally jumped on the market, everybody had their own little digital distribution model, and they all had DRM for the most part. And now I don't think any of them do. It's all DRM-free. And that, like I said, took like five years. For digital comics now, it's been, what, two? 
and I think that's awesome, or at least two from about the time it went day and date, um, like the music industry did, and uh, it's it's a great trend, it's good, I mean, look, I, I could talk your ear off uh, for hours about DRM and about intellectual property and how those laws work and piracy and how the laws are supposed to work and how they actually work and how piracy does or does not affect comics or any digital medium and probably not in the ways you would think. And it's nice to see the industries finally starting to learn from their mistakes and figure out that being a friend of the consumer is almost always a better tack to take than treating them like active criminals. Well, something I also wanted to mention, and this is a bit of self-plugging, I guess, in an odd way. All For the month of August, all of the Action Lab comics are going to be 99 cents on Comixology. I know for a long time we've talked about how we thought like the sweet spot for digital comics for the price would be 99 cents. Uh, well, we're putting our money where our mouth is for the month of August. So that's awesome. Um, any, any action lab comic, uh, including the danger zone comics, uh, any single issue is 99 cents. We also have reduced prices on all the collections, anthologies and trades, uh, you know, digitally as well. So check it out on comicsology. I wanted to also point out really quickly, um, from action lab just debuting now is uh, Jamal Eigel's Molly Danger. And we talked earlier about how comics are, are not really marketed to kids anymore uh, on the DC side or what have you. This is a comic that Jamal made in, in response to having to draw Supergirl with triple D breasts and things like that. This is a comic that has that sense of adventure and fun and good writing and beautiful art, but is totally, um, could be read by you know seven or eight-year-old, could be read by a 45-year-old and, you know, equally enjoyed by both. You know, it's got the depth of story. It's got the characterization. It's got the beautiful art and the the great, um, the great world building. Uh, it's got it all. It's really great, and that's available. It's also available for ninety nine cents. The first issue right now uh, on Comicsology from Action Lab. So I definitely want to recommend that. I am definitely going to check out some of these books then, because uh, you know I, I don't always have the deepest wallet, but uh, ninety nine cents and. Uh, a company I trust with uh, people I'm friends with, I will definitely check out some of the stuff. It just seems, I mean, we've talked forever, I mean, Russ and I and, and Jordan and John and about how we always thought that 99 cents was, you know, where, you know, just about where the digital comic price should be. Um, so for this month, that's what we're doing. So, you know, get them on their hot. Now, for anybody who doesn't know, like, what's the difference between Action Lab and Action Lab Danger Zone? Is that just a... Uh... Action Lab is our, our general title, our, our general uh, designation. It's uh, comics that are, uh, are you know, uh, able to be read by, you know, all ages. Danger Zone is kind of our mature audience. It's kind of our, ma- like, Marvel has the max line. Gotcha. And that's, that's like, included with like the 99 that. cents? Yes, that is also in the 99 cents. Um, you can check out Zombie Tramp or um, Ghost Town or The Final Plague. We have a lot of really great titles in the Danger Zone uh, designation. Again, you know, those are for mature audiences. And then the all ages comics are just uh, on, on the action lab side, but both sides good comics. Check them out. You know, a lot of great. So creators. even you guys have comics for younger people and for older people. Yeah, in fact, some of our most popular comics right now, Princeless, uh, Skyward, yeah, uh, Molly Danger, they're all uh, all ages comics, especially Skyward. Um, uh, issue number one of Skyward now is going for thirty or forty bucks on eBay, which is hilarious because you can buy the San Diego variant from us on our website for ten dollars. So <laughs> that's how popular Skyward has gotten. So um, a lot of our most popular properties are for all ages, you know. So 
Um, go ahead, DC, make them for forty-five-year-olds. We'll get everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> but I know, I know, yeah, it's I kind of self-promoting. But I just wanted to mention that since you had mentioned the ninety-nine cent price point, and uh, like I said, we have a lot of good comics. Check them out. Very cool. Yeah, I definitely have started to put my money where my mouth is, and you know, I've talked about it on the show before, but. You know, I love on the Mondays and the Fridays and just checking Comixology regularly for the 99 cent sales because I tend to I tend to load up. You know, I don't buy just typically one or two issues. Uh, and so, you know, knowing that that uh, Action Lab, you know, has has embraced that, at least for, for this month, um, I'll definitely be be checking a lot of that stuff out uh, as well. It's it's you know, the Molly Danger thing was is actually started as a Kickstarter. Correct. That that that's where it it. That, started? That's right. It originally started as a Kickstarter, and uh, the people who invested in that Kickstarter are going to get a beautiful European-style uh, oversized hardcover, you know, kind of like the Tintin books. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen them in bookstores, but they're, you know, they're sized sure. like a treasury, yeah. but hardcover. And the people that contributed to that will be getting that, uh, that from the Kickstarter. I know because I was involved in the Kickstarter, too. In fact, we had a fundraiser at Gypsy for it. But um, the uh, the comic, the issue one of the comic, which has part of that story... Um, it's 99 cents right now on Comixology. Um, uh, I really recommend uh, uh, Ghost Town. Just got a really great review on iFanboy. Uh, Ron Richards said uh, that Brian Bendis wishes he had written this comic because it was so well-structured and, and well-written. So that's a really good... I mean, they're all really good. Pri- Pirate Eye, uh, Skyward Princess. We have a lot of great titles. Check them out. Like I said, 99 cents this month. We're only promoting this on social media and on podcasts. So it's kind of, I mean, you can go to Comixology, look us up, and notice that it's 99 cents, but, uh, you know, we aren't coming out with the official press release of this, so. I just bought Night of the 80s Undead, awesome. number one, Space Time Continuum, season one, and Molly Danger, number one. So, I cannot wait to read them. Night of the 80s Undead is great. It's like if John Hughes and George Romero made a movie together. It's pretty funny. My that, life sounds complete, then. <laughs> To stay on the digital comic tip and to maybe throw DC back some love, I I think one of the things that DC is doing very very well is their digital first line. Um, and you know we pretty much every month we we talk about that. Uh, but interestingly enough, they've actually are entering I guess the second wave of those titles. So we're getting uh, Batman Beyond 2.0 and Justice League Beyond 2.0. It looks like they have canceled Superman Beyond. They've pushed the timeline forward a bit. So I know for sure with Batman Beyond 2.0, it's it's a year forward. Uh, Terry McGinnis is now in college. Him and Dana have broken up, which was interesting because, uh, I guess spoiler alert for Batman Beyond Digital, at the end, uh, towards the end of, of the last run with that whole 10,000 Jokers thing, she actually found out uh, he, was, he was Batman. She kind of knew, but it, it kind of... He, she kind of admitted, you know, to him that, that he, that she knew. Uh, so that kind of came out, but, and we're not sure why at the beginning of 2.0 that they're broken up. Um, but they are in college and they, they're not seeing each other anymore. But there is a really, and, and it's kind of cool because we see, you guys have both seen the Justice League Unlimited episode epilogue, correct? Uh, I've never seen any of Justice League Unlimited, sorry. I have. Oh, you need to get on that. Yeah, you need to do that tonight and come back tomorrow and report oh. report on it immediately. 500 words on each episode right now. <laughs> What's the episode yes. called again? This one's called Epilogue. I will check it, it out. But it, it's funny because it doesn't really deal with Justice League at all uh, very much. It deals with no. Terry McGinnis from Batman Beyond uh, and Amanda Waller telling him the truth about the fact that, spoiler alert for a cartoon that came out 10 years ago, 
he is actually uh, has Bruce Wayne's DNA in him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of goofy, but it, it it was it was a really well done episode because it it kind of Terry and Bruce kind of had like a I I want I don't want to say adversarial relationship because it wasn't it wasn't really adversarial, but they Terry wanted to basically be Batman but live a normal life, and Bruce had a lot of conflict with that because when he feels that Batman should not have a normal life, you should be Batman and, and that's it. The episode kind of picks up, and I, I would say at this point, Terry's probably, what, like 25-ish, maybe? Early early mid-20s? That's, that seems right. That I sounds would, right. It, I'd put, yeah. Yeah, if, if I had to guess. And and so it, it, it's kind of like the the where Dana and... and uh, Terry kind of get back together, and Bruce and and Terry kind of come to kind of an understanding of of how things will work. Um, but this this is definitely before that, so this is somewhere in between. Um, but the last page of that episode or of that issue of Batman two point or Batman Beyond two point number one, just ha- I was like, it really was a really cool curveball they threw uh, at the end of that issue, and it, it just makes me love that that book even more and and again each issue is 99 cents like we talked about before it's quote-unquote 22 pages but it's the equivalent of about a, i would guess 11 page comic uh because each page is about a half each panel fits on the widescreen you know version of the tablet and if you stack them up it, it but you know two pages together would be about the equivalent of one comic page so it's kind of nice having something formatted uh for the tablet but it, it's really cool. I really like what they're doing with that universe. My understanding with the Bat, uh, Justice League Beyond 2.0 is the same thing, that it, they've, they've pushed it forward a year uh, in time, and so we'll see what's going on there. Uh, they're still going on with Smallville Season 11, so that's good. The Injustice book is, is still just humming along good. Um, the Batman 66 is, is still pretty good. I'm, I'm a few issues behind on that, but I've got the first three that I've read. Uh, and it's just a lot of fun that that, you know, again, you know, I've talked about it before, but it'll just be a great book that you could sit with your kids or nieces, nephews, grandkids, whatever, uh, and read to them because it, it very much evokes the, the 66 show. But, um, you know, DC's really doing some cool stuff with their digital digital first um, and more so than I'm a little peeved at Marvel because that whole Wolverine Japan's most wanted is a two ninety nine digital issue uh, for the infinite, which I'm I'm. I'm not buying in protest almost um as much as I love Wolverine and I've seen some stuff on the book and it looks like the art's very well done but I'm just not going to pay $3 for for a digital only you know uh comic even if it if it has that cool infinite features to it especially when you know DC is doing the same thing with their Batman 66 and they're only charging 99 cents so I love Justice League Beyond I read all 25 issues of the first run and I'm definitely on board yeah. for 2.0. I really enjoyed that. What I love most about Batman Beyond in the cartoon and the comic, and Jordan, you might want to listen in in case you went out to get a beer or something since we're talking DC. I'm still here. Okay. Um, Terry McGinnis is very much Peter Parker. You know, he's a teenager with problems. Yeah. He has a girlfriend he's trying to keep happy. He has, you know, school to go to and everything, yet he's trying to be Batman. So it's like Batman as Spider-Man almost. Oh, yeah. And I remember Batman things... Beyond from back in the day. Yeah, I really, I really uh, I enjoyed that aspect. Um, something, something you mentioned, I don't know if you've been reading it or not, Russ, is, uh, Injustice Gods Among Us, which I think, hands down, is probably one of the best comics DC is putting out right now. It's super great. I mean, it's an alternate reality where Superman has kind of taken it upon himself to, to, um, you know, make Earth better. You know, it reminds me very much of, like, 
Squadron Supreme uh, from back in the day from yeah. Marvel or uh, or the Justice Lords episode of Justice League Unlimited, uh, something like that, where the superheroes just take a little step too far to help out. You know what I mean? Um, basically, uh, Joker kills Lois Lane, so uh, Superman kills the Joker. Very much a, a play off of what happened in Kingdom Come, you know, where, where um, uh, Magog killed Joker or what have you. But that set Superman on this course to make make the world safer. And uh, it's really cool the way the different heroes respond to that. The the, the latest issue uh, have Jonathan and Martha Kent appealing to Lex Luthor's humanity. Uh, <laughs> it's just really uh, some some interesting topsy-turvy stuff going on with the characters and situations in that alternate timeline. I know it's a, uh, a video game tie-in uh, to the fighting game you know, done by the, the NetherRealm people who did uh, Mortal Kombat or whatever. But uh, it really has very little to do with that, other than the character designs, has very little to do with that fighting game. It's a really cool kind of dystopian superhero feature. Even It reminds me of uh, the original, the game in Buckingham Miracle Man in parts. Um, just the whole, you know, the idea of, of, you know, them being advanced and them knowing what was best for you. Um, again, Squadron Supreme, I think, is probably the closest thing to it. But I'd, I hardly recommend that. It's a, it's a, it's a super great uh, digital book that they're, they're putting out. And uh, like you said, Justice League Beyond, Batman Beyond, Batman 66. I mean, they've really been, uh, you know, showing some diversity and some cool stuff on the digital side, at least. Uh, even if I'm not buying very many of their regular comics, quote unquote. Yeah, and it's funny because the Batman 2.0 now is is being written by Kyle Higgins, who is the regular uh, writer on Nightwing. He has some some familiarity with the with those characters and you know with the with the Batverse. Uh, the only the only complaint I have about Injustice, and this is pretty minor, is sometimes the art can be very uneven. You can go a couple issues and the art is really good, and then they'll throw you another issue where the art style is kind of wildly different. So it doesn't seem to be terribly consistent, which I think you know hurts it a little bit. Especially, I imagine when this thing is collected, it's gonna it probably looks a little funny. Uh, I don't notice it so much when I read the digital issues because they're you know, each one is, is different and it could go, it could be weeks, you know, between reading them. But if I sat down, you know, they collect three of these issues, I think, in in one comic issue and then six of those issues in a trade. So um, I, I'm curious. I haven't actually flipped through any of that. I'm curious to see how that comes across when that's done. So what else you guys been reading? I've been really uh, digging on the Valiant comics. I know I keep saying this every week when we, uh, every month when we talk about the Comics BS show. But uh, the Valiant line has been really strong all along and Unity is coming up and instead of doing a big, uh, company-wide co- crossover story like the original Valiant did. Unity is going to be pretty much Valiant's version of the Avengers, with uh, with you know the best and brightest of their heroes working together to fight you know bigger uh, thing you know threats that are bigger than than they can handle. But what I wanted to mention uh, that just came out recently, I think they're on issue two or no, up to issue three now. I'm sorry, is uh, Quantum and Woody. Uh, it was originally created by Christopher Priest and Mark Bright back in the original run of, of Valiant. Now it's being done by James Asmus and Tom Fowler. And it is, you were saying earlier about how some comics aren't actually very funny, that comics try too hard to be funny. This comic is hilarious. Um, it's just, um, it's about two, uh, foster brothers, one very straight-laced army, uh, sergeant type guy, and one a small-time con who, because of a, of an accident, are linked together by this strange power that their father, uh, uh discovered, uh, this quantum power. And they, go on to become the absolute worst superhero team you could possibly imagine. Uh, they are terrible at being superheroes. They are just really, really bad. And th- therein lies the humor and the story, and it's just a lot of fun. Really good comic. Um, 
Valiant has a lot of superhero comics, but a lot of different shades of superhero comics. You have like the, the supernatural thing going on in, in Shadow Man. You have the really like grim military action going on in, in Bloodshot. You have the, the angsty teenagers with powers a la X-Men in Harbinger. You know, you have, uh, the science fiction of, of, of H, of Exo Man of War. You have the lighthearted adventure in, in, in Archer and Armstrong. I'd say this would probably be more of the, of their humor, um, comic. It's just really funny how terrible these guys are at being superheroes. I mean, they make all the mistakes that you and I would make given that kind of power. Um, they, they represent like the, both the good and, and bad nature of, of most people and the, the way they end up having to, you know, stumble through their quote unquote adventures is really fun to read. So I just wanted to, uh, recommend that from Valiant. Again, uh, I've been really enjoying the Valiant comics across the board. Um, Really, I have to thank Chris Campbell and uh, Mike Myers and, and Daryl Taylor for turning me on back at Heroes Con to some of the more, uh, some of the Valiant titles, and uh, I've been enjoying them ever since. Very cool. Yeah, I've heard good things about uh, Quantum Nudity, but I have not checked it out yet myself. I will have to do that. Yeah, I haven't picked up that one yet either. I've been getting the Valiant stuff on the, as we talked about, the Comixology sales when they hit 99 cents. I usually grab a bundle, so that's how I've gotten... Uh, Exo Mana War and Harbinger and um, Bloodshot. I'm sorry, Bloodshot. Uh, so you know, pretty much as they as they come up, they had a Shadow Man sale a while back that I missed. Um, yeah, I caught up. Yeah, I caught those up on the sale. Yeah, which I've heard a really a lot of good things about Shadow Man. Yeah, it's uh, Fred Van Lente and an artist I'm not I'm not uh, familiar with before this, but but she is doing great work on that comic. Um, Woody and Quantum of Woody very much reminds me of Eric O'Grady and the Ir- Irredeemable Ant-Man. So nice. I'm, nice. I might be uh, an attractor for you, Jordan. It absolutely is. <laughs> I love that book so much. He's just uh, an out-and-out SOB. He just really is. And uh, one of the things I, I, I found out recently is that Valiant is going to be soliciting. They've been doing trades of all the the uh, their Valiant stuff. But they're actually going to do the oversized hardcover collections, and they're collecting. I think the first, like Exo Man Wars, the first fourteen issues. I think twelve or fourteen issues. Uh, so it looks like they're going to they're going to give those really nice uh, oversized hardcover treatments, which has me intrigued. Yeah, the art in that has been by Kerry Nord um, uh, for the most part, and it's been really gorgeous in Exo Man of War. I'd love to see it yeah. in a bigger bigger format. Yeah, it'd be it'd be really nice. I've been reading. Uh, the Star Wars stuff, you know, I, again, we talk about a lot, too, from, from Dark Horse, but this uh, recent series, this Darth Vader and the Ninth Assassin, uh, is, is getting ready to wind down. I just read the fourth issue today, matter of fact, and it's just really good. All this, all these Darth Vader miniseries, like Darth Vader in the Ghost Prison, and this one's Darth Vader and the Ninth Assassin, they've done several of them. I think this is the third or the fourth one, and they're just really, really excellent, Uh and and they've it's funny because usually the the stuff from the Star Wars stuff from Dark Horse when they first go to print it it, it gets trade format uh, and then some at some point down the road they may do hardcover but usually it's the smaller format hardcover or they collect everything in there in what they call omnibus or omnibuy which are the kind of not quite digest size but definitely smaller than regular comic size uh, that are affordably priced usually about twenty five bucks and they shove just a ton of issues in it. Um, but the Darth Vader stuff, they've actually been, when it goes to its reprinted format, it's actually been going like straight to hardcover. And it's, it, I'm really tempted to go back and, and pick those up. If I ever see them at a con or on sale in that format, I'll probably get them because they're just really well done. I really, I'm really enjoying this, 
very near after episode three, Vader, uh, and his struggles with the Emperor and his struggles with his past, uh, and and just the characters and situations he finds himself in, uh, and it's just it's been very very well done. I've still been reading the Brian Wood uh, Star Wars book, and I'm still enjoying that quite a bit. Um, I wanted to ask yeah. you though, Russ, since it, I mean you're a slightly bigger Star Wars guy than me, I guess. Have you checked out the book called The Star Wars from the first draft of George Lucas's script? Because that looks kind of interesting. Yeah, I think it ships uh, next week or the week after. It hasn't. It, the first issue hasn't actually shipped yet. Yeah, I know they just put out a trailer for it, which was pretty cool. Yes, I was just going to say they're 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 full bore marketing push on this thing. Uh, they've got a trailer out. They've got preview pages out. Uh, as a matter of fact, in that uh, issue I read today of Darth Vader and the Ninth Assassin, there's a two page or three page preview of the book at the end of that, and I've read, it's funny, I have uh, something called the annotated screenplay uh, for the first, the first, uh, the Star Wars Empire and Jedi books. And in the margins on this book, it has all of the notes, you know, as it goes through the story of how it changed. So I'm familiar with some of the early concept stuff and what he was doing, uh, but never have seen like a full script treatment. And it looks like for this one, they've, they've actually gotten it, but it's it's really I, I'm really looking forward to it, and they're like I said they're they're really pushing it hard. I've I've been to some of the other comic sites, and they've they've actually put in for uh, you know like banner ads and background ads uh, to show it off. But but this this one ought to be really interesting. I'm I'm very intrigued by uh, you know how this is going to play out, and I'll really be uh, curious to see if they push it further. That if if it turns out to be a pretty good success for them. If they if they decide to carry it forward and and you know not just take Lucas's treatment for the Star Wars but have the writer continue on as as if he were writing the second and third movies, that could be pretty cool. Yeah, and the art is really good. I mean, I've, like I said, I've I've seen the trailer and I've seen some of the preview stuff, and you know they've taken taken a lot from McQuarrie's uh, early drafts and early you know uh, renderings of of some of the stuff. I mean, we've seen some of that over time. Uh, or time to time, Kota Biyaku did a really cool statue at one point of, uh, it looked like Luke fighting Vader and he had like the, uh, the, the breather mask, like uh, the Luke character had like a, uh, almost like an underwater mask, uh, a rebreather on, uh, fighting Vader. So I'm, I'm really curious to see what this turns out to be. Have you guys seen the stuff for the X-Men Battle of the Atom? No, I have not. I know a little bit about it. It sounds what little I know sounds cool. Yeah, it's it uh, starts next month. I guess it's going to be a ten part story. It's going to have a basically X Men Battle of the Atom one and two are going to be bookends for the story, and the rest of them are going to take place uh, in two issues each of four series. I think it's going to be uh, Wolverine and the X Men, Uncanny, I think X Men and. Uh, maybe I think Uncanny X Force. I can't remember exactly which four titles are are gonna, but it's gonna be a weekly series over ten weeks. Uh, the X Men, the Battle of the Atom number one is gonna be drawn by Frank Cho, which uh, was a little bit, I guess, of Marvel controversy recently because Cho kind of went on a Twitter rant apparently about how he got pages very late and had to crank out. I think what amounted to. 32 pages in 16 days or something like that, which for Frank Cho, we all know Frank Cho is not the peppiest of artists, and he's apparently doing the pencils and the inks. So 
he he just kind of went on Twitter and basically has been working nonstop and like sleeping in his office and you know just running really low. And part of it is it almost seems a little whiny to me. I mean because uh, you know Frank Cho having to gripe about having to push hard to get. 32 pages out in 16 days or whatever it is. Um, seems like maybe he's making up for the fact that it took him months at times to do, you know, a 20 page book or a 22 page book and things being just, just really, really late. I mean, he's had books in the past that have just been, been ridiculously late. Um, so why he would take that assignment, I don't know. The other thing too is because he's doing the pencils and the inks. If he was getting that late, I don't know why they just wouldn't bring in an inker to do his finishes unless he's just, you know, to, to help out, you know, to help himself out unless he's just, you know, really anal about, you know, making sure that the, the work looked a certain way. But it just it's interesting because I think we've had complaints in the past of Bendis uh, bringing in pages late and, and the stuff that Cho is drawing is definitely done by Bendis. So I, I just thought that was kind of amusing. But the story it, itself, I guess what because the Beast brought the the past X-Men, the the original five into the present, uh, the future X-Men come into our present and basically tell everybody that they have to go back to their own timeline immediately before they screw things up to the point of no return. And so it kind of causes this conflict between this future group of X-Men, the present group of X-Men, and this past group of X-Men. But I think either way, this might put to bed the whole uh, X-Men from the past and the present thing um, and I'll be curious to see how that, that plays out. But it's, I guess this is the 50th anniversary of the X-Men event that they're doing for, for this summer as a follow-up to, uh, to, to the previous AVX event. And yeah, the, the idea of the future X-Men coming back to join the current and past versions is what really uh, interests me. And granted, I don't really read X-Men, but I do love a fun time travel story. I also hate a bad, badly told time travel story a la... Age of Ultron, but uh, this one sounds pretty nifty. And it hopefully this isn't all Bendis, you know, the, because it flows into the other books. It'll be uh, Jason Aaron, and it'll be um, uh, I think I think uh, uh, Remender has has a part in the story too. So it's it's not just Bendis, uh, which I think I think is good because I think we can all agree lately that his endings to his uh, crossover events have left us a little flat. Uh, so hopefully this will be. Uh, something that that ends on a high note. Very cool. Uh, another Marvel event that's coming up is Infinity, which uh, either comes out this this coming Wednesday or the Wednesday after issue number one. I'm super excited. the The free comic book day uh, version of Infinity is actually available for free from uh, Comicsology right now. I was just looking through the free issues and noticed that. Um, I don't know if it will continue to be though. Uh, after Infinity Number One comes out, because I know Number One is a is a bigger issue and will include at least some of the content from the Free Comic Book Day issue. So if you want that, you should probably hop on it pretty quickly if you don't already have the physical copy, uh, like I luckily do. Uh, thank you, comic shop owner, for holding on to that for me because uh, it was sold out. But he held on one on onto one for me because he knew I was into Hickman. Um, it looks to be awesome. the The Marvel multiverse is collapsing in on itself. Um, and the Avengers don't know about that. Uh, the new Avengers do, the Illuminati do, but the actual Avengers are not aware of this as they leave Earth to go fight the Builders, an ancient race of aliens that are wrecking some havoc on Earth at the moment. And while they're off fighting the Builders, or what is left of them, Thanos decides this will be a really good time to go down to Earth 
and come and get something. We don't know what that something is exactly, but we do know Thanos is sending a whole bunch of his generals and his army down to Earth to uh, attack it while it's mostly undefended. And the most recent issue of New Avengers had Thanos' general showing up basically at the front doors of the few major heroes that are left on the planet. Like, one of them is literally disembarking a ship at the doorstep of Doctor Strange. And uh, things look like they're going to get pretty darn crazy. Oh, and also, the Living Tribunal is either dead or has been knocked unconscious on the moon. So, if you know anything about Marvel and the... Marvel Cosmic Space, or who the Living Tribunal is, you know, that's a big effing deal. And you might want to send your condolences, flowers, and cards to Mr. and Mrs. Tribunal, his, his parents who <laughs> survived him. Um, Jim and Judy uh, Tribunal. Yes, Jim and Judy Tribunal of Walla Walla, Washington. They, um, it, it's interesting that they have like certain books bannered as being Infinity uh, lead-ins or tie-ins, when it seems like that's all Hickman has been doing in Avengers, in the adjectiveless and secret, or not secret, the new Avengers, uh, since he began is kind of setting up this bigger story, which is what he does. You know, it is his want to do so. And well, and from what moment. I understand, Infinity was originally going to be part of Avengers and New Avengers, and Marvel went, well, this is so huge, we're going to turn this into our next event. It, uh, I'm excited for it. Um, it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to a a, mar- a major Marvel event not helmed by Bendis in some way. <laughs> so that'll be refreshing. Yeah, and I definitely liked Hickman's issues of um, AVX. I thought they were some of the better ones. I think the, the Spider-Man was probably the best, and I don't think that was him. But I, I just enjoy his approach to stories. And just knowing his books from the past, epic craziness is what he excels at. I mean, he excels at a lot of things, but... He leads up to some giant, huge, huge epic stories, and that looks to be what he's doing again here. And so, hey, that sounds perfect to me as a Marvel event. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. And Jim Chung's doing the art, so if you like Jim Chung, hey, check this one out. Yeah, that's a definite plus for me. I liked uh, Hickman even released a reading order for Infinity, like you should read Infinity, and then if you read Avengers or New Avengers, read this issue and this issue, and then, uh, you know, for the whole event. And he released it as a hictogram. He even makes reading orders look cool. Did you say pictogram or hictogram? I said hictogram. Fair enough. (laughs) Because a hictogram is its own special type of pictogram that can be created only by Jonathan Hickman. Sweet. I'm glad we're actually looking forward to a summer event rather than just kind of rolling our eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I I got a couple uh, quick ones. I've been I picked up the uh, speaking of comicsology sales again. Uh, IDW had the first eight issues of the new uh, Judge Dredd series that they're doing. Uh, so I picked I picked those up and I've read through the first four. Uh, and they're, they're, they're actually pretty good. It's, it's kind of cool. They're, each one has a backup story. Uh, and I guess issues three and four, their backups actually have something to do with the main story. Uh, and, and they're all kind of connected. The first two issues, the backup stories were related to Judge Anderson, which I thought were pretty cool. But so far, so good. It, it, it definitely has that dread vibe. Uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, streets and buildings and things like that that are all named after, famous people, you know, so it kind of gives you 
like a Where's Waldo quality to to looking at it, kind of like the I guess the 2000 AD stuff uh, did did things like that too. Um, it's it's pretty good. Uh, the other thing too is Peter David's X Factor is coming to to the end, and part three. I just read part three of that story, which was focused on Richter and Shatterstar, Longshot, and the Mojoverse. And uh, there's there's a really crazy revelation uh, that that comes out in that book. And there's been a lot of talk recently, actually not even recently, going back more than 20 years now about Shatterstar's lineage and his relationship or lack thereof between Longshot and, and his you know, crazy hair. Between... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so it's really kind of cool that this basically Peter David is writing the definitive history and lineage of of all those characters, uh, and it's kind of crazy. Uh, <laughs> so it, it's it's kind of like a it's almost like a one and done story uh, picks up from what they did in Hell on Earth. So I'll be sad to. Uh, it, it's funny that book is kind of has a, a bit of a love hate relationship. It started off and it was so. Uh, critically acclaimed and it was very very well written and then it kind of went through a period where it was just really not very good uh, and then it kind of resurged and got really good and then it was kind of like mediocre and now in the end it's it's really picked up and on on a definite high note and uh, you know I, I'm kind of feeling now I'm going to miss it when it's gone but uh, I, I, I understand I think it's coming back I think they're going to do another in the next Marvel Now wave I think it's going to get another release I don't think it's going to be by Peter David but I'm pretty sure Peter David has an unannounced Marvel project coming, so I'm really curious to see what what he's going to do next. Very cool. I'm just going to say, I'm just glad Peter David's recovered so well. He had a stroke not too long ago. So I, run, I follow him on yeah. Facebook, and uh, you know, he's recovered really well from it. But I mean, that's a major, that can be a major setback when he's, um, you know, God bless him and, and his uh, and his healing proper, properties. Um, that Judge Dread book is that the Dwayne Sparinsky uh, book? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I've been meaning to check that out. Johnny M recommended it to me, so now now I have two recommendations on it. I will definitely get that. Has anybody been reading Kickass Three, and or are they excited about Kickass Two, the movie? I yes to both. Um, I was not the biggest fan of Kickass Two, the comic, but I really liked the Hit Girl comic. Yes, uh, I thought of of the two, the Hit Girl comic was was way better. Uh, and I was not the the like I said the biggest fan of Kickass Two. To me, it just in some ways kind of felt like it was treading water, a little bit more of the same, not really moving like I thought it was. I, I think the ending was was pretty decent, but I'm really liking Kickass Three. I think uh, I, I given where Kickass Two ended, I like where Three picks up, and I like how uh, this band that that uh, Dave Dave has created, Kickass has created, has good intentions. But like when their moment in the spotlight comes to to uh, to do something about it, they all just kind of like chicken out and run away. It's it's just it again. It just makes you think like this is how people would be in real life. Like they'd get all amped up about breaking into a prison, and then when you know it time to when the chips were down and they put their money where their mouth is, they would all just freak out and run away. So uh, I, I I like it a lot, and you know of course for me. Uh, you know, the pairing of Mark Miller and John Romita Jr. is always a good thing. I think he's doing some of his best stuff on Kick-Ass. Kick-Ass 2, I guess he just did the breakdowns. He wasn't doing the actual uh, full-blown pencils. I think on Kick-Ass 3, he's back to doing full was pencils. Was that Kick-Ass 2 or was that Hit-Girl? Um, I know for sure it was Hit-Girl, 
but I wasn't sure of Kick-Ass 2 as well. I think it may have been both. And I really liked in Hit-Girl when he did that because whatever artist they had come in over top of that had this great, like, wash effect to the art, and it looked great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've really been impressed with the quality of that book. But yeah, I'm, I'm digging it. What do you, what do you, what's, your, uh, what, what's your take on it? I, I enjoy it. I don't know. Kick-Ass is one of those weird books where I definitely enjoy it as I read it, and then I kind of forget about it till the next issue comes out, and part of that is because it always seems to be uh, perennially late. But, you know, I always like enough of it to keep going and dislike enough of it to not really care. Like, I liked a large portion of the movie, but the ending and some of the other stuff in it just you know, was kind of whatever for me. And that's the same with all the books, you know, even the stuff that's different. Sometimes it's better. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's a lot worse, but, um, I'm excited for the movie. It looks cool. I'm enjoying the comic. It's fun. But at the same time, I feel like they're all kind of disposable and I I don't like that about it. I I wish there was something deeper about it that made me really want to be like, Oh, you've got to see this or read this. And it never really quite reaches that level for me. And for for all the volumes, I read two. I didn't read Hit Girl uh, or three, and I, I will. I probably will go see the movie though. Yeah, I plan on. It's funny. My wife was a big fan of the first movie. She just, I don't know. She gets just got a kick out of it. Um, so she's on board for seeing Kick Ass Two, and I think it comes out next. Yeah, it's it's uh, this coming Friday as you're listening to this. So more than likely, I think we'll we'll check it out. I based on what I've seen of the trailer, I think the film looks to be more enjoyable than maybe the comic was. I think Mark Miller is kind of falling into a Frank Miller hole of kind of parodying himself. Like he, everything he does has to be, especially in Kickass, has to be like more shocking and more brutal than the time before. I don't know, and he kind of when you hear his interviews or whatever, it just kind of seems like he's he's buying his own BS. So I don't know. I'm just waiting for him to implode. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I, I had a I had a topic and a thought that I, I was curious to, to what you guys thought. After the Image Expo, we've seen that um, Hickman and Matt Fraction and I think Remender and and now, like I said, Miller all have pretty major projects coming out from Image, and it seems like these guys were doing stuff through the um, through the Icon line at Marvel, um, you know. I know that um, Fraction recently moved uh, Casanova from Image over to Icon. And so I thought, and, and same thing with Miller. Miller was doing all his stuff with Icon. I mean, um, Superior and, uh, uh, you know, Kick-Ass and, and some of the other books he was doing were all Icon. And now these things are all moving back to Image. And it made me curious that, like, really the only, I think, ongoing book, if you can call it ongoing because it's so late, that that is coming out on the icon line are, I guess, Powers, uh, you know, which is from Bendis, and then Scarlet, which is from Bendis, which is, like, so late it's not even funny. Um, so I, I, I don't know if you guys have given any thought to it, but I've just been curious, like, I think that maybe the icon line is is winding down or maybe maybe is not anymore. I just, I haven't, I haven't seen anybody address why it is they're moving these projects from icon to image. Yeah, it probably comes down to money and creative control, just like everything else. That's what I was going to say. They probably have uh, less of a stranglehold on the IP. Uh, yeah, but I, I think the icon stuff is all creator owned. Like I don't think Marvel actually has any creative stake in that. But again, I think with the image 
side, like they, what they pay, the, it's like a flat fee, like 4000 bucks per book or something like that, that they charge to publish and solicit and, and all that? Yeah, I'm not too familiar with the, the contractual stuff that they've that they deal with at the various imprints and stuff, but uh, yeah, so I'm not sure. That's that would be my guess. I would guess that the deal is probably sweeter in image than it is at Icon. It's interesting, you know, in the respect of things moving from Icon to Image, but then too, these, you know, all most of these guys are like the the golden boys at Marvel right now. I mean, they're all. You know, on their top line books, they're all getting you know big press. They're all, I think, even Jason Aaron has a book coming out in Image too. So it's it's just funny to see how Marvel is heavily promoting these guys as their big guns, and to see them you know moving you know all these creator own projects to Image, I think is just kind of kind of funny. I'm sorry, but that's I mean the saying is you know make hay while the sun shines. While they're popular, while they they have that audience built in. You know, while they have that, that notoriety and that fame, that's when you'd want to cash in and make more money off of your IPs and have people buying your creator own book, you know, than you would, you know, if nobody knew who you were. Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Icon was supposed to be like the vertigo equivalent at Marvel, you know, to, to allow creatives to have, you know, control over their own projects and to, you know, retain ownership and all that other kind of stuff. That was the purpose of, of Icon. So. Anyway, just something I thought about. Very, very interesting. Does anybody else have any other comics BS? I don't. Come see me at uh, Pittsburgh Comic Con when I do the trivia contest as I do every year. Noon in the big ballroom on Saturday. Uh, You can win a lot of cool swag and a lot of cool prizes, a lot of trades, toys, uh, stuff being donated by Action Lab and by Phantom of the Attic. Uh, uh, a lot of a lot of great stuff if you know your comics trivia. So come on down and uh, support Longbox of Doom and the HHW LOD Network. I will be there as your Master of Ceremonies and Quiz Boy Master. Uh, and asking all the questions and you, you will be answering them for valuable prizes. So uh, September 27th, 28th, and 29th at the Monroeville Convention Center here in the Pittsburgh area. Pittsburgh Comic Con. Come meet Jim Stranko and ask him if he really did smack Bob Kane upside the face. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess if we're all BSed out, that does it for, for this episode of the Long Box of Doom. Cool. All right. So I think next for the Long Box of Doom will be our, our beginning of our look at Hickman's Fantastic Four run. So I think uh, that's an episode that Jim and Jordan have been chomping at the bit to bring to everyone. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, abs- if you couldn't tell from uh, me drooling all over Infinity, I love Jonathan Hickman's work, and that is largely because of the fantastic run he had on Fantastic Four and FF, and I cannot wait to talk about it in depth. Awesome. So you can check out our website at www.hhwlod.com for all of the shows and cool stuff that we have up there for your viewing and listening pleasure um you can check out our facebook groups for the long box of doom real heroes half hour wasted uh the black box out now with aaron and abe um all kinds of great podcasts uh that we have not only on the website but all over facebook um you could follow the the podcast we're on twitter at hhwlod underscore network um you could also leave us a voicemail at 516 Four six eight seven nine one two. We'd love to hear from you, or 
you know, again, put some uh, comments on the Facebook group, and we'll uh, we'd love to read and cover those on the show. Or send an email if you if you're so inclined. Uh, you could even attach a voicemail to the email if you don't want to uh, pick up your phone and dial at LOD at HHWLOD.com. So until next week, this is Russ for Jim and Jordan. Have a good week. Have a good one, everybody. Happy BS, everybody. It's, it's summertime. Read some comics. <laughs> yes.